This is Frank About Sports, a.k.a. The Old Man. You're listening to the official Mets Weekly Podcast, hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold back. Make sure to head over to our YouTube channel and follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. So with that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show. So apparently when I look back at some of our comments section, there's been quite a few that have talked about my hair and how I'm losing my hair. Um, I understand I am, um, but apparently the hair piece isn't flattering, so whatever. Episode number 32 of the Mets Weekly Podcast, 60 Minutes of Brutal Honesty, begins right now. So before we begin, y'all know the drill by now. Make sure to subscribe to the Mets Weekly channel for content throughout the week, including the premiere of this very podcast every Tuesday and pop-up live streams for breaking news throughout the off-season. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, along with all of our individual links that are in the description. So we have now reached the GM meetings of this offseason. We are coming very, very close to the chaos starting. We know that November has a small wave of free agents that sign, and then you get to the winter meetings, and then everything goes haywire, and you get news coming out of your ass. So we're waiting for the non-tender deadline. By the time this week, this time next week, we'll see if a player shall not be named is no longer on this team. That's kind of the big non-waiver deadline. Uh, non-tender deadline being the 17th. But yeah, we're seeing the award nominees. We'll see you probably in the rapid fire storm. There's a couple nice nominees for the awards. But again, for a bad year, just want to kind of flush it and get, see what the big new boss man, see who he's going to target, see so you should get some rumors and get some moves. Because again, we've been, that managerial carousel went nice for about a couple days and now it's been just quiet from, baseball perspective so again like hopefully ignite that hot stove how about the winter meetings having the stomach virus and then all of a sudden the winter meetings are canceled so we'll see how much that actually impacts how quickly uh, some of the deals will go through you know not having the winter meetings that, that does kind of sing because that's where you get some of those big ones out of the way nice and early uh, but that, that's the big thing. You know, we're seeing what happens with that non-tender deadline, not only for the Mets, but also to see, you know, what is going to be the full pool of the options that are available. I, I think that's the really big thing to keep in mind because, who knows, there may be some surprise non-tenders that's like, oh, well, that's a piece that would fit the Mets really nicely. So that's the other thing that I'm looking out for. Um, as we talked about before, when it comes to Mets, almost non-tender everybody except DJ Stewart and maybe a couple of other guys. And that's pretty much the way we felt on it. Uh, and then it will bring you to the point where you have hopefully a lot of open 40-man roster spots. And I want to see what, you know, this brand new front office with David Stearns in charge, how he fills it up and how he addresses that. And like I always say, not having these, as we call them, minor league players coming onto the field whenever there's an injury or something going on, I really am curious to see how they're going to go about building that up with all these non-tenders. With that being said, let's talk about our biggest piece of news and get right to it. As predicted last week, the news came out right before the last episode dropped. I mean, I, I just knew that was going to happen. We officially have a new manager. The Mets have hired the now former Yankees bench coach Carlos Mendoza as their new 
Avenue manager Mendoza is 43 years old, had a brief major league career from 1997 to 2000 with a few cups of coffee at the top level. He's been in the Yankees organization for over 15 years as a defense instructor, infield coach, and most recently the Yankees bench coach for the last four seasons. This hire came with some shock after the longtime front runner for the Mets job in Craig Council spurred the Mets and the Brewers to join the Cubs signing a record-setting deal. With speculation about Consul's desire to manage the Mets aside from money, that seemed to be true. Bob Nightingale reported that Consul, quote-unquote, never, ever was going to take the Mets job with speculation that he'd rather sit out this season then move 1,000 miles away from Wisconsin. Consul's historic five-year, $40 million deal was reportedly created by the Mets' lucrative offer to push the Cubs up to their offer to sign the free agent manager who is from Indiana and grew up as a fan. But nonetheless, the Mets have viewed Mendoza as a very strong candidate from the beginning, becoming the first major hire of David Stern's tenure with the Mets organization. When we did the last podcast, we talked about the fact that it was really going to be down to Council and Mendoza. I mean, that was the sense that you got from everything that you read. And just it made the most sense, honestly, with the options that were available. Uh, the other guy that I'm kind of surprised they even get it. I don't know if you even got an interview from the Mets with Joe Espada, who did end up, you know, going to the Astros to be their manager. Makes a ton of sense there, has experienced the organization. So I'm not surprised. But uh, I think that it makes a lot of, I mean, Craig Council really just kind of fooled everybody. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, we talk so much about, okay, you know, Mets, Brewers, maybe the Guardians, they have an opening. But for him to go to a team that at the time did not have a manager opening, that caught everybody by surprise, and not because David Ross had done a great job and had you know a ton of job security, but just the fact that it really just came out of nowhere. You know, division rival and things like that. And you could ultimately tell that we talked about it before, but we've seen this happen a lot with the Mets with players. You know, putting the Mets name in the bidding, having the Mets attached to you to drive up your price. We've seen it countless times in the Steve Cohen regime with players. This is the first time we saw it with a manager. So I, I do find that very interesting. You know, the Cubs, out of nowhere, give you this record deal. No one would have predicted that. I mean, it really just caught everybody by surprise. And I think it makes the most sense that Council took the most money. And most importantly, it seems like staying close to home was probably his top priority. Uh, and he was able to still kind of do that by moving to Chicago. So he was able to accomplish the two things you want to do. You want to get the most money. And you want to be pretty close to the place you want to be. And he was able to do both of those. So for the Mets, for them to pivot to Mendoza, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, where else were they really going to go once something like that happened? And we said it before, but I'm good with the Mendoza hire. Uh, I think that right now, especially in this current age of baseball, uh, with the kind of pedigree that David Stern seems to have, the kind of respect he seems to have, you know that David Stearns is going to be the guy calling the shots uh, when it comes down to a lot of the big things, who's playing and things like that. Most of that is going to come down to David Stearns in the front office. So the manager is not going to have the same effect that he would 20, 30 years ago. So that's one of the big things to keep in mind. So Stearns is the guy that's really running this. Mendoza, I'm sure he'll do fine as what do you want to call it, the mouthpiece or the public spokesperson for the Mets on a, game, a day in, day out basis. I'm sure he'll do fine with that. Uh, you've heard a lot of good things about him, though. I mean, from everywhere you read, anyone who talks about him, all very good things about Carlos Mendoza, just about the way he interacts with players, the way he goes about the game. He has some superstitions. We'll see about that. He's throwing sunflower seeds onto the field. Uh, but 
all in all, it's so hard to really overreact when it is a rookie manager. Uh, but I think, you know, of the rookie managers that we've seen with the Mets, him, I, I'm going to give him a shot again. Like I said, I wanted to aim young and I, I wanted to see the Mets try to do something a little different here. And I think Mendoza, it's going to be, it's an okay hiring. I mean, it's, it's not a slam dunk, but then again, the slam dunk candidate wasn't really out there. You know what I mean? So I think that, you know, based off of the situation, the Mets did probably the, the best thing that they could do because council was not going to come. Surprise to the team, but obviously I there was a feeling that he wanted. We saw those reports from the Milwaukee Times being like, "Oh, they're gonna if he, the offers were close, he would end up going to Milwaukee." Yeah, we didn't see the Cubs just coming out of nowhere and just RKOing the field. But hey, good for him. He got what he wanted. He got the money. He got to stay close, semi close, ninety miles to his home. Good, you know, have fun. Good for you. You set the market. Whatever. Like I've said, I've continued to say on the pot, I never really cared if it was Council, if it was Mendoza, Beltron, Carlos Pena, whoever, it would have been behind the bench because I trust David Stearns to pick his guy. And I think I, I was hearing something, obviously all the talking heads were pissed off at always, but there was someone that brought up a good point is, if this truly is a house money year and there is not going to be the championship expectations, this would be a year to bring in a first-time manager, say, hey, try to compete, but like this isn't – you have to get to the World Series. You have to get back to the playoffs. You want to be competitive. You know, you want this team to be competitive, but it gives them kind of a developmental year, you could call it, and with this house money of seeing what you know this team's going to be. And say kind of like – I think you said it about Rojas, that they hired him at the wrong time. I think you said it on one of the pods a couple years ago that like, this is developmental. Like this, maybe is the year to like. Hey, it's like again, you're playing with house money, so it's like you know, if he has a good year, hey, let's say he skips Schumacher. Let's say he comes in first year, rookie manager, and has a great year and wins 85 game, gets to the playoffs. As a first year, it gives him the, the ability to say, hey, you don't have to be a championship team right away. You can learn New York, even though you know he's been obviously a bench coach with Boone, but it gives you the ability to say, hey, do it as a manager with not. Obviously, expectations, but again, not what this team was, you know, two years ago with a full studded all star. You have to get to the World Series. It allows him to kind of like get used to it while trying to be competitive as well. So, if this is what, if this is the guy that David Stearns is banking on, we complained and cried for years to get David Stearns. I'm not just going to turn on him because, oh, he hired a guy nobody's heard of. If, if it was Carlos Beltran, I bet you the crowd would be like, oh, that's pretty good. It's just the wrong Carlos. Sorry. You got the guy that nobody knows instead of the freaking should-be Hall of Famer. Oh, bad whoop-dee-doo. They had the same amount of experience. So, again, I'm not – again, I made it clear throughout the whole process, I didn't really give a shit who the manager was. So, I'm going to trust David Stearns. If this is the guy he thinks he can do, be the best symbiotic with him, hope this is our venom and we can go win a couple of World Series. I'm, fine. I'm always very critical about pretty much every move that the Mets make. I mean, I'm, I'm always going to say if I like it or I don't like it. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, and it's hard to go out on a limb with the Mets manager position. I think the Mets completely nailed it here. I think the Mets nailed it with this hire. And the reason why I say that is because, yes, it is a first-time manager. We don't know what he's going to be. But I've said this before, it's not 
a rookie manager. First-time managers and rookie managers are two different things. Mickey Calloway was a pitching coach, never had any like leadership experience. Rojas was a quality control coach dealing with analytics and bench coaches in the minor leagues. The fact that the Mets, they went out of their way and said, okay, we like Carlos Mendoza. He has been a bench coach for multiple years now. He's been in the public eye of New York media, which is so goddamn important because we have seen so many Mets managers specifically say so many stupid things and get thrown completely out of context. Dry humping guys from Mickey Calloway, Luis Rojas just saying that he didn't even going on during the clubhouse, basically just admitting that to the media. A lot of Mets managers say a lot of stupid, stupid things. And this guy seems to be very trained with the New York media. From what I've seen, he's very outspoken. He's very well respected within the clubhouse. And that's all I really care about. To be honest, that's all I really care about. I don't know how he's going to manage the bullpen. I don't know how he's going to manage the lineup. I don't know how he's going to manage anything, how the presence is going to be in the clubhouse. Have absolutely no idea what he's going to do. But again, like we have said before, with Carlos Mendoza, yes, there's a first-time manager thing, but let's just be real for a second. Give me a good roster, and then we'll win. A good roster covers a lot of sins, as we have talked about before. A good deep roster. Brian Snitker, not the greatest manager, but the Braves have a really good team. Dave Roberts, not a great manager, but the Dodgers have a really good team. So there is tons of first-time managers or not very good managers that get covered up and bailed out by a lot of talent, the high-end talent. Out of all of the candidates that we were talking about, this was the only one with actual New York experience, which is so much more important than I think a lot of people think it does, especially with how the whole manager uh, situation is now of how they've just been puppets for the owners. We just need to hear them talk. We need to see how they present themselves if they're well-respected in the clubhouse. And that's what we've seen, we have seen from a lot of players. We've seen Harrison Bader go out and say that. It looks like he wants the fourth outfielder job next year for some reason. We even saw well-respected postseason heroes such as Reggie Jackson give his stamp of approval. I don't know how it's going to be, but I think that this is somebody who has been developed into this role and he should have gotten a managerial spot in the last few years and I think that they did a really really good job with this as for console I'm fine with it I don't care to be honest I really again I did not see console as this big gem I just saw him as a good cog in the wheel wheelbarrow of David Stearns they've had a relationship for a long time it would have been work to to be you know a, very adaptable and be in sync with the front office that's about it. As we've all seen before so far from David Stearns, he has said that I'm not just going to take things from other organizations. We're also going to bring in our own type of methods and our own type of things and, and have like an own New York stamp on things. Well, a New York stamp, bring it from a New York guy who's been in here for, for over 15 years. I think this was a fantastic hire, in my opinion. And I don't know how well the team is going to be. Again, the manager does not matter. I need the front office to be good just because. Nobody's really heard of this guy as compared to Craig Consul. Overall, what I I think that the name of Craig Consul is a lot bigger than his value of what he would have brought to the Mets. And what we're hearing was he obviously didn't want to be with the Mets. He just wanted the money from the Cubs. I think we all know that from years and years and years of New York sports, we want guys who want to be here. And it looks like Carlos Mendoza 
wants to be here. So now along with that manager news, we also got some other Mets staff updates for the 2024 season. Now at the GM meetings this week, David Stearns confirmed that the Mets will not be hiring a new general manager this year, confirming that the Mets have quote unquote enough going on this offseason. This will keep the position vacant after Billy Epler resigned weeks ago amid his injured list investigation. As for more brass news, Stearns has confirmed that all-time Met Carlos Beltran will remain with the organization as a special assistant to the front office. Stearns continued to explain that his responsibilities will be modified to a different extent after there was a small consideration to interview for the manager position, but Beltran has confirmed that he is happy in his current role. Also, Mets pitching coach Jeremy Heff Hefner is expected to return for the 2024 season, and that would make him now being kept by three different heads of Mets baseball operations since being hired back in 2020. And finally, the Mets are also likely to seek a bench coach behind Mendoza with Major League, leaving a strong likelihood of Eric Chavez leaving the Mets organization real soon. Top reported candidates for the bench coach position include Phil Nevin and Gabe Kepler, who are both available on the open market. All right, let's, let's start with the news that I, I said this a month oh, yeah, a month ago when Stern said it, that this was going to be Kyle Dubas all over again. I saw this with my team in Pittsburgh. You got a good president of baseball ops. You don't need a GM. Like, I get it. It'd be great to have another advisor to have a different opinion. But if you've got one of the best in the sport, need the GM. And especially, like he said, another round of bullshit interviews that would take three more weeks. And especially, we, the winter meetings are in a month, less than a month now. You had the GM meetings, now it's the winter meetings in less than a month. So you want to go into a free agent or into the winter meeting still having the same discussion. Oh, the Mets need a GM. No, they had one in-house. Good, and he did the dubis and just said, hey, I'm the boss. I'm the boss anyway. You don't need to fill it. Wait, and you can maybe do it in season or do that search after the season next year. Hope again, hopefully, maybe not. Maybe just, just keep it. Have him be the guy. Like, it's okay. You don't have to fill that position, but besides the point. Uh, Hefner being back, sure. Um, I would prefer, I would prefer let Stearns find his guy because again, he's the guy that's, you know, developing the pitching lab and all that. And, you know, Hefner gets all this praise from everyone, but tell me an arm he's actually developed that hasn't ruined, you know, like give me one like, Oh, McGilla was worse than, you know, and uh, you have all these guys. He hasn't developed one. So he keeps getting this, oh, he's such a great pitching coach, but can't name you a guy who, yeah, you look, that's a Jeremy Hefner arm. The bench coach with the experience definitely needs to be a priority because, again, first-time manager, give him the best chance to win. and Obviously, give him a great roster, like we said, but give him guys who have seen it. Nevin and Kepler are decent options, I don't think. Gabe would come over, but again, he wasn't a great manager either way. He was better in San Francisco than he was in Philly, but you know, again, he's not some generational manager uh, candidate because if he was, he would have a job right now, which you know, there's still openings and he will not be candidate for. So if it's one of those guys, just to have a guy who has had the manager experience, say, hey, I've done this in the ninth inning, how to manage a bullpen, I'm fine with. Uh, Beltran staying on the organization, cool. Uh, just keep him as the special advisor, like, you know, maybe a higher than what David Wright is, but have him in the front office. Hell, have groom him to be the GM at this point. Like, have him be in the front office if he wants it, because there was the point he does like being with his family and his kids or whatever. Have Stern, have him be Stern's his right-hand man at this point. But it's just cool to keep him in the thing, keep all the former alumni 
in a good relationship because we saw the other regime, other ownership. They just told the alumni to fuck off and never come back. You know, obviously with Cohen and then obviously now with, with uh, Beltron being in the front office, keeping them. Not just say, hey, dude, you're out of here. I'm new. You know, Epler loved you. Bye. Get out of here. So just keeping them in the organization is fine. And, hey, break glass. You would have a candidate if need be. But, again, it's just the managerial stuff. You, you know, you would like Stern just to get his own guys. But, you know, he's cleaned out some of the scouting department and all that. I would have liked him to clean out the coaching staff too. So just Hefner hanging around different about it but i wish kind of he would have got his own guy i do find it interesting that hefner has been retained like you said through multiple gms or president baseballs so we're going to call him through multiple managers uh the fact that hefner has stuck around now, i do find that very interesting uh because the thing that we at least i've been the most excited about Stearns was how well they have done with the pitching in milwaukee uh, it just feels that they've always had uh, good pitching, guys you never heard of, uh, some projects of guys who were good then fell off, that they got back on track. They've just had such a, a track record year after year of doing this. And I wonder if Stearns feels like Jeremy Hefner is a guy who can do that. Because I think that if Stearns is like, okay, based off the conversations I've had with Hefner, I feel like he could kind of maintain that and maybe not necessarily recreate it, but not totally ruin whatever it is that Stearns could bring over from Milwaukee. I think there's more than just Stearns. I'm sure Milwaukee has plenty of other people in that front office and the analytics department and their development and all that stuff that also goes into all this pitching success that you've seen. So even though none of us have been impressed by Hefner, can't really see why he stuck around, there must be something. I, I don't know what it is, but there must be something that they choose to retain him. What that is, they haven't really said, but there must be something. Uh, I think the same thing goes for Beltron a little bit uh, for him to also be retained. I think that he's not really in too significant of a role to the point where if he just wants to kind of chill, do some scouting, advise a little bit because he's seen so much in the game and well-respected in the game and you know be around the team, I think that's fine. I, I don't think there's really any harm in him hanging around. So I can understand him being retained. Uh, the bench coach I am pretty interested with, I, I do find that a little different than usual when you do have the rookie manager. Uh, so, you know, Gabe Kapler, yes, he has some managing experience. Uh, Phil Nevin, he had some time managing the Angels this past season. So those are I mean, the main two guys that I feel like they'd be looking at right now. But I, I think Gabe Kapler, for some reason, I, I get the sense it'd be an awkward fit. I don't think he's going for a bench coach role. I feel like he's going to be looking for a managerial spot. And I just think that, like, if Mendoza starts to struggle, I wonder if he'd be like, oh, maybe Gabe Kapler should manage. You know, those weirdos or something might say that. Uh, didn't he win manager of the year, too, at one point? I feel like that really good year with San Fran. That's when Buck won. It's the Buck winning champion. That's when Buck won. Yeah, so, I How mean, is Buck gone? Buck what won. happened? Why did he get rid of Buck? Exactly. Exactly. So, Buck was manager of the year, then he's gone. Gabe Kapler had to have been in the running that same year gone so it, it doesn't really mean much but some people try to actually make make it seem like it actually is a thing and then as far as uh the gm thing i, I totally agree with andrew let let Stern do his job let him do his thing uh you know sometimes it's nice to have another voice uh evaluating talent but again if Stearns is as good as they say he is just let him do his thing i mean I, i'm totally in agreement with that you don't and again it's just like uh, do you want that thing where, oh, Stearns wanted this guy, but so-and-so wanted that guy, and then they had a dispute, and, you know, all, all these stories. I mean, you know, in New York, they'll find some way to turn into a story that we'll be talking about in a podcast in the offseason of next year. I mean, you could just take that to the bank because that stuff like that is always happening. Uh, but then the one thing that it does 
make happen is that Stearns builds the team this offseason, and then if they actually do look for a GM next season, they're really going to be inheriting a David Stearns already built team. So you always wonder how they want to uh, react to that and what their actual role would be, again, if there actually was a GM. So I think it's better off right now with just the whole new change of everything let Stearns be the man. I'm 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 completely okay with keeping the GM spot vacant. I know a lot of people have been complaining these last few days about since that news came out that they weren't going to try and replace the Epler position. They were saying, "Oh, well, we've had a GM for so long, and with no players in our baseball operations, now we have a president of baseball operations with no GM." I'm fine with the top settling of it just being one guy. I'm okay with it. And from somebody who has a lot more successful experience of building up like a system and you know building up a a lot of methods from where he was it's pretty easy to say okay let's trust david stearns let's see what he does here as for jeremy hefner i think that there's a lot of mets there are a lot of mets fans that like him a lot there's a lot of guys in the mets organization that likes him i personally don't see it in four years it doesn't seem like this guy has done much i don't know maybe there's just something that we don't know you know we're not in sync with anything going on in the front office we just talk about this team every single week as for jeremy hefner there has been obviously some some of the same excuses of what we have talked about with buck showalter of what the hand he was dealt and all these pitchers that were brought in but the problem with that is that i don't see a reason to give that type of excuse to jeremy hefner as well because good pitching coaches can bring in this crap like the Yoan Lopez and like the Reed Garrett, Rob Zastrinsky, I mean, all these random names you can bring in here and can turn them into gold. And he hasn't done that with any of them. We've seen them have maybe a two week good stretch, but then the wheels just completely fall off. They get hurt. Something else happens. If the pitching is not that good next season, Hefner probably will be out of here, but. I don't know. It seems like they really, really like this guy a lot. To be honest, the biggest thing I think he's done for the Mets was Homer in a Mets uniform when he was a player. Like, I I really have not seen much. Most of the guys who have succeeded here have had established careers. We have talked about this before. Edwin Diaz was one of the best closers in all of baseball before he came here. Had that shit year, obviously, with Island or whatever. Here's the pitching coach. They brought in Hefner. It helped, obviously. Adam Adovino, he's had an established career, and then the wheels fell off the next year. David Robertson, he was great for us, but he's had a great career. Aaron Loop had a great career. Jose Quintana had a great career. A mass majority of a lot of these arms that have been under Jeremy Hefner have either gotten worse or they haven't gotten better whatsoever, or they've gotten hurt as well. So I don't know what the deal is with Jeremy Hefner. I don't understand that that much, but you know what? David Stearns likes him. David Stearns likes him because we have been expecting this guy to be our president of baseball operations since Cohen bought the team. So I'm going to trust him with this whole situation, but don't expect me not to be skeptical after what we've seen for four years from Jeremy Hefner. Carlos Beltran, I mean, I'm, I'm good with him staying in the organization, obviously. He's well-respected by a lot of the players. He's, lo- he's well-respected a lot internally. I think that he does have a lot of ability to definitely contribute to a front office. Do I think that he should be the right-hand man of David Stearns calling the shots? No, because there hasn't really been anything that has been proven that way i wasn't really that thrilled when he was named the manager because i mean again he wasn't a bench coach or anything he wasn't developed into that whole system 
it just it was a rookie manager, not a first time manager. Two different things, in my opinion. As for the bench coach, I think obviously they put in the best position to succeed with Carlos Mendoza. It has to be somebody with managerial managerial experience. Let's just hope it's not too old. And that's all I'm hoping. So um, Kapler did win manager of the year the year before Buck. Hmm. So 21 was Kapler. 22 was Buck. Okay. Yeah. So again, but that's what I'm saying. That like it to some people it may seem like a thing, but it's not because then. All of a sudden, it's a regular season gone, award. So. Like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, exactly. what are you going to do in yeah. the playoffs for me? And, and again, the Giants, some of the Milwaukee are one of those teams that are built, have been good because of what they do in the front office. They have smart guys up top, not because the manager. So I, I feel like the same thing is supposed to happen here with Stearns and what he did in Milwaukee. Like, like Gabe Kapler could have had a good record with the Brewers, you feel like, you know, because or with the Dodgers. Like, like we've talked about, it's a lot of the roster and the guy assembling the roster. Not so much the manager. I, I saw some kind of article. I got to go find it um, where they were talking about how like analytics have obviously pushed the whole managing strategy out of it. And I think that like, yes and no. Um, I think that if it, it it's become an analytical game just because of more of the talent and how it's been measured, you have a guys that we've talked about throwing up 100 miles an hour and hitting the ball 100 miles an hour. The skill gap has raised the the skill gap has def is definitely a lot different from what it was ten years ago. You kind of need those types of advanced numbers to keep in line. And the main reason why the Mets haven't been succeeding with this, and Steve Cohen has talked about this before, is that you know we're like fifteen years behind here with what the Wilpons left. He inherited a dumpster fire. We know from the top it looked all right. We had a core of players or whatever who were drafted and developed. They've had. You know, we had decent players or whatever from the top, obviously. It was so top-heavy. Everything was so top-heavy. This is going to be, what, the fourth year of Cohen's owning the team. You know, they're just getting started. This whole pitching lab stuff, this whole coaching. I mean, there's there's so many things that still need to be done for the Mets to become a well-oiled machine. They're, they have guys who can make that, but they still need to perform with that process and they haven't been able to get that consistency obviously it's going to be a process of course but you have the best guy out there to lead it so i'm hoping that we get it here hopefully it's not it's not continuing the trend of somebody coming to new york and turning into a shell of themselves he's in his late 30s you know i, I don't see him i don't see him his mind aging at all so i'm going to trust what he is doing because he's one of the young baseball minds he's a great baseball mind he's done a great job with the Brewers and even some of the organizations he was here before. And I think that there's some guys, obviously, that I would get rid of because it didn't really work with the old regime. Like Jeremy Hefner talked about him. Again, I've talked about Eric Chavez. I think that he's going to leave for a managing job eventually. You know, we'll see what Stearns thinks. I'm giving Stearns this year to see how it plays out. And I'm, I'm trusting it, given his history. As for Billy Epler, didn't have a good history. So that's a different story. So I don't really trust his opinion because not much of what he's done has worked. In fact, he's made organizations worse. And you saw it with the Mets. You saw it with the Angels. You saw a few things with the Yankees back when he was there too. I I, I always give somebody a fair chance at the beginning, but I'll always be as, as critical as I am. So speaking of Stearns, developing the pitching, all of that stuff, the pitching will continue to be a massive priority for the Mets this offseason, but the internal depth chart just got a short-term hit this week. 
Mets left-handed pitcher David Peterson underwent surgery this week to repair a torn labrum in his hip. The normal recovery is about six to seven months, which makes Peterson's likelihood of being on the opening day roster extremely low. According to a person familiar with the situation, the labrum tear is something Peterson has dealt with for years, but he put off surgery because he felt he was able to pitch without discomfort on many occasions. Other starts prove more challenging for Peterson, who felt some irritation as he began his offseason throwing program at home in Colorado. When asked about the rotation construction without Peterson, Stern said the following, It does change our depth chart a lot. We'll have to make sure that we have sufficient depth. It's certainly my hope and expectation that he's going to be able to play an important role on our team in the second half. With Peterson out for an extended period of time, the Mets' internal depth options currently sit at Tyler McGill, Joey Lucchese, and Jose Budo. Going into the offseason, the Mets have just two legitimate starting pitchers in their rotation, headlined by their breakout rookie ace, Kodai Senga, along with lefty contact manager, Jose Quintana. Notice how, like, every single player that I don't like plays through these injuries like a bunch of fucking morons? Yeah, I mean, how many times are we going to do this with the players? And, the you know, putting stuff off, putting stuff off, and then it ends up biting you eventually. You know, I, I just don't understand. If, if you're a pitcher, whatever injury you have as a pitcher, you should never be pitching through an injury. I mean, I, I'm in full belief there, especially for a guy who was not in our starting rotation. You know, when the Mets made these signings, you bring in, take your pick, the DeGrom, the Scherzer, the Bassett, whoever. Pearson not supposed to be in the starting rotation. He's supposed to be maybe, we talk about the minors, maybe as a depth piece. Get surgery. You're not having big expectations, so get the surgery so that you're not in the starting rotation. But now in a year where he maybe has a little more expectation because the Mets have absolutely no pitchers, now he's unavailable. So now they have even less pitchers. So, again, just poor timing on his part. Really, I mean, from an organizational standpoint, they should have made him get the surgery a couple years ago. So um, I just think that it's just very, very silly. But now we've been talking about this from the beginning, and in – Stern's press conference, he said top priority, pitching. And I'm in full agreement there. I mean, the Mets need a lot of help in that department. Uh, they need help in the rotation. They need help in the bullpen. They need help with the depth in both. They just need pitching help everywhere. So, and this just adds on to that. You know, this is just another arm that's not going to be available. Uh, now you got to really look even more that starting pitcher market. Um, if you want to talk about lefties, okay, you got to look in that area too. Long relief, man. Like, they really got to address all these areas. And this is what Stern's again, the, it's up to him now, you know, because uh, we talk so much about Epler and Sandy and all this other stuff. Like it's Stern's time now. Like he's supposed to be a guy that's brought in good pitching, had good pitching teams year after year in Milwaukee. Let's see you do it. Let's see you create the magic because that's what it's going to come down to because it's not like you're just going to be like, okay, well, I'm going to sign Otani and I'm signing Yoshi Yamamoto and I'm signing Blake Snell and I'm signing, you know, just like everybody. It's not going to be as simple as that. Like it's going to be up to Stearns to find, like we've talked about these under the radar guys we haven't heard of, you know, make, make on the two, whatever you want to call it. They're on the 40 man. They come up, they are productive pieces for you. That's what it's going to come down to that depth. Because like we said, all these absolute bums that we've seen, the Yon Lopez's of the world and the Lavenders, and just you can just go on and on and on. You can make, make like 50 to 100 guys of just absolute bums the Mets have had on the mound. With, with Stearns, I just really hope that happens much, much less frequently. 
So that's what it comes down to is just having quality arms that can step up in the loss of David Pearson or if anyone else gets hurt, you're just going to need to add a ton of arms to this organization. You just look at the depth chart right now. Obviously, they yep. haven't done anything, but it's crazy. They have two starters and two relievers on the whole fucking roster right now. Like, let's be real for a sec. Brooks Raley and... Edwin Diaz, Kodai Senga, and Jose Quintana. That's crazy. Not to mention, we kind of saw this similar situation last year as well. Like, we had an emptied out rotation. We had, like, what was it? Scherzer and Scherzer and Peterson. I mean, was yeah. that what our, what our rotation was? After, yep. like, yeah. Scherzer and Carrasco? Like, what? Yeah, I mean, Carrasco. The fact that it's just turned over just another year, they got to figure this out. It's almost like targeting a bunch of 40-year-olds when, you know, Kevin Gosman was on the marquee. You could have focused on him. You know, that would have been nice to, you know, pencil in. You get Senga, now you got two elite ones, Kitana's your three. You don't have to go in the Yoshi market per se. You would have two guys, you know, at 180 innings you can pencil in. And then, hey, you don't got to go out and spend $200 million on Yoshi. Maybe you can play in the mid-tier market to find a three. And then you can go find your, you know, bargain bin guys. And, again, that's what David Stern's here to do. He's got the money. He's got the checkbook. He can go out and get the big guys. But he also needs to continue to bring in the guys Again, Eric Fetty's again. Just throwing a name out there. Coming back from Japan, had changed his repertoire. He's actually elite now. Maybe he's that a guy. Find that version. Just find these bums. Find the guys that when you're looking at it, you're like, they signed who? Joel Pompas. Like perfect example of the Brewers. Who the hell is Joel Pompas? He's one of the best relievers in baseball. That's what he does. Find those guys. Find starting starting pitchers. Find relievers. Find them all. Find an ambidextrous guy, find a knuckleballer, find a guy that can throw dragonfly <laughs> balls. We got a ghost fork. Just everybody and every single, if it's in Asia, find them anywhere. Go, I want you to explore and find this anything. That's what he can do. And just continue to build the depth. Is there some, you know, internal depth coming? Possibly, but they're not. They're about a year or two away to bring in some internal guys. Plus, you know, that maybe we've drafted and developed, but those guys are two years away. Stearns can go on and went, you know, we made wet nuts about Stephen Writings and William Woods. Now, when the Mets make those waiver claims, I get Penn Murphy, sexy. Again, not going to pitch, but yeah, yeah, that's a sexy waiver claim. Those are the kind of guys that he needs to hit on. And just get, stick him in Syracuse. Build that 40 man roster to help. Build a 60 man roster. You got the money. Again, this isn't Milwaukee. Like, Sign a bunch of like 10 $1.5 million deals with minor league invites. Just do it. Like, you have that ability. And if, you know, give them like the Luke Voigt treatment and say, hey, you can get opt out after a certain date if you're not called up. But you have that financial ability to say, hey, overpay. Team, let's say Oakland A's are giving you $2 million. The Mets are giving you $1.75. You want to go right away at Oakland? You want to give a chance potentially on a good team? Well, Give him $3 million if it's a guy worth it. You can do that. So that's what I expect Stearns to be in every single market, trade market, which, hey, maybe you should watch the rest of this video, David. You got some ideas. I got you. You know, coming up in a segment later, but trade market, free agent market, I want you in every market. I want you just keeping an eye on everything and do not be scared to make be aggressive. Just go out and just build this arm. If they throw 100, sign them. I didn't get your, your analysis on the impact of losing David Peterson. Uh, the impact was just about the many words I said. I, he's depth. Like, can we stop with this? He's never going to be anything more than depth. Wasn't he a first-round pick, though? Was he? I mean, there's nobody really in that draft class. It's kind of been a shitty draft class, to be honest, because the guy you love is still rotting away in Norfolk. He was pitching great in the playoffs, dork. James Paxton, you're out there. I know you are. I feel like the Mets need to go the Rangers route 
and just sign a bunch of guys. Sign like 10 freaking pitchers. Have your headline. Have your Jacob DeGrom move, which can be Yoshi Yamamoto, and then just sign a bunch of guys who can be threes, who can be back-end starters. They need to do stuff like that because, yes, we saw a good stretch from Jose Budo. We saw good and bad from Tyler McGill. We saw quality from Joey Lucchese. But I want those guys to be the 11th, the 12th, the 13th option they have the flexibility to do that. The thing is, is that, yes, David Peterson, it's an arm, but I want there to be actual talent on some of these arms with the pitching staff, obviously. I don't want it to be just the quantity. Just the quantity. I need a balance of quality and quantity. The Mets just bring in a bunch of guys. They claim a bunch of guys. They sign a bunch of guys. They trade for a bunch of guys. None of them stick. They all stink because they don't have that raw talent whatsoever they have some good things about them then you have some coaches that screw up whatever they have they screwed up but overall the mets they need a lot of options that are quality in my opinion i think that that's something that they need to really really address they need to bring in a lot of flyers in my opinion a lot of flyer pitchers who had success before but their value is down. They were injured. They had a tough year last year. Maybe they can resurface some of that talent. I talked about James Paxton. He, good stuff last year, kind of fall up, fell off towards the end there, got hurt. Who else Who else were we talking about in that? In that? You got Miley. You got G. Leader. You got Flaherty. You got tons of arms. None of them obviously don't have to be those guys, but those types of guys. Guys who've had Cy Young-type seasons or, you know, good seasons. Who are coming off bad? You can get for like seven to ten million dollars. Oh, that's just the back end. Again, yeah. they still need to obviously pair up somebody with Kodai Senga. They need a legitimate number three, and then that's how you fill out the rest of the rotation with you know guys who can be considered uh, three starters if they're at their best and they can back up the rotation. I just don't want to see them fill in a five-man rotation and then say, okay, well. Tyler McGill, Joey Lucchese, Jose Budo. We have multiple options. Well, they don't seem to have shown enough quality to come in here in a pinch. So you need to go external with this whole situation. There's not much of a risk when you bring in a lot more younger options to the rotation. We had a lot more concern with the Scherzer and Verlander and Brasco and things like that. But it's a 162-game season, and the Mets need to start treating it that way with the pitching. Speaking of health, also at the GM meetings this week, David Stearns also gave us a update on Starling Marte. The Mets are reportedly confident that the veteran outfielder will not need another groin surgery this offseason after a injury-riddled 2023 regarding constant soreness from his previous groin surgery last year. Marte struggled a lot last season, slashing just 248, 301, 324 with a 76 WRC plus across just 86 games while unable to go full speed in the batter's box or in the field in 2023 due to after effects of his surgery. Marte will be entering a 35-year-old season and will make $19.5 million in 2024 and 2025, completing a four-year $78 million fully guaranteed contract that he signed two off-seasons ago before the 2022 season. Listen, I'll believe it when I see it at this point, uh, you know, because we know that Starling Marte, uh, his big thing is, can he stay healthy? Uh, you know, a healthy Marte is a very productive player, but 
Uh, if he's banged up, if he's missing time, I mean, it just really stinks with the kind of money that they committed to him uh, with the fact that he is still on the books for the next season as well. So uh, it definitely is a big concern. Um, that's why if there was any way they could maybe trade him and get some young pieces and maybe take a little bit of the salary, I'd be willing to do that. Uh, like we've said before, I, I think the Mets do need to really target that corner outfield market. Um, this offseason, there are a few quality options that I do like as far as just power bats that they can add to this lineup that also play corner outfield spots. Uh, so for me, I just don't th- – I feel like it's not worth the risk at this point. I, I think that, you know, obviously he had a great year the first year. Then even when he was on the field this past season, he wasn't good. So the fact that – you just it's such an unknown and when you're entering like we've talked about that age 35 season it just gets very tough you know obviously the best years are behind him and when you get to that age a guy who relies so much on his athleticism for what for his talents as for as far as what he does well it's just hard to see it really translating to the quality player that we want. Uh, not only did you see the dip on offense, but also saw the dip on defense too. Uh, so uh, those are, it's just a lot of concerning aspects of them. And the fact that it's like, maybe he needs a surgery, maybe he doesn't. I mean, the fact that we're already playing that game and we're not even in 2024 yet, having started spring training or anything like that, it's just a big concern right now. Um, it's something that I really would be trying to, see if there's any other options because it's just not looking good right now. It's just not worth the risk. Good that the guy's not having, you know, surgery, which is good because obviously, you know, going on the knife is bad. But this should not be a stall, a roadblock for still adding two outfielders. Again, Starling Marte needs to be looked at as kind of like what you assessed when this was looked at in 2020. If he gives us anything, cool. That's a bonus. You need to still add two starting caliber outfielders that could hit for power it can be productive let's say when you put the name in the lineup okay that's good but again if he's they're they're seeing him as hey he's gonna play 140 games and be all-star Marte simple that's the Mulpon type thing I hope David Stearns again we trust that he's you know has a brain say hey he's if he's on the field and he's healthy he can be a good player but again the word I can't stand when you build a team, if, and, you know, to go back to Frank, in case of an emergency, I don't want to see DJ Stewart out as the first option. I like DJ Stewart. If DJ Stewart's my, like, fourth or fifth or sixth option in the outfield, I would love him. I don't want him to be, all right, Nemo's good. Jeff McNeil's playing left field, which, God, God, help not. But, like, they sign, insert Hunter Renfro here, Marte's your three. Boom, Marte's out with an oblique in April. And then here comes DJ Stewart. That's a problem. Or Harrison Bader level of like, oh, they bring in a fourth outfit. They need to bring in two guys who, at, you know, can be see Marte as if we get anything from him, it's a bonus. But we cannot trust him because, again, age 35, he's always been an injury-prone player. Even when his prime, even in his prime, we said it when we signed him. You got to go out and at least still add two major league outfielders and hell, maybe even a third for the bench because. You can't live in a world of ifs, especially with the money that you can have. There shouldn't be ifs, and we're still asking if, if, if this goes well. You shouldn't have that with the financial flexibility you have to build a roster. This should not be a need. Again, would you try to move it? Yeah, but again, you're going to have to McCannon. And but if this isn't like a James McCann situation where 
There is still upside in Starling Marte where there was no upside in James McCann. But if you move him, you try. I don't think there's a lot of teams like just lining up for a 35-year-old Starling Marte, even at, let's say, $5 million. And you're going to have to give up a sweetener. So at this point, keep him and have, have him be the highest-paid potential fourth outfielder on your depth chart. And then you're going out and, let's say, it's Teos, Teo and Hunter Renfro in the corners with Nemo. And then Marte's your fourth outfielder playing around. I said this in our video that we had about the Mets offseason checklist. As for looking at the outfield, we know we have Nemo in center field. And that's pretty much it. DJ Stort is probably the next guy after that. We know Mark Hanna's gone. You know, Marte, it's in flux here. What I said in the video was basically that the Mets needed to approach this offseason thinking that the worst is going to happen with Starling Marte, that you're not going to see him for a majority of the season because he has obviously proven that with his age, with the surgery that he has had, they need to look at it as pretty much just a sunk cost at this point. Just another $20 million a year that you're flushing down the toilet because you have no choice to because it's a fully guaranteed contract. Do you want to look at this like another Cano? Maybe. But like, the thing is, is that you cannot trust this guy to be on the field for 140 games this season. You can't trust him to possibly play more than half of a season right now. I understand that, yes, saying this after one down year or whatever, but again, he is 35 years old. And we have talked about Starling Marte's injury history before. When you get older, those injuries come a lot, become a lot more substantial as compared to 26-year-old having this groin surgery. And more frequent. Yeah, they're going to be more frequent. I mean, you're just putting yourself at high risk. In such a premier power position, such as right field as well, that, is, that has become extremely valuable in the last few years, it just doesn't seem worth it. Now, if he becomes what we saw him in 2022, fine. But again, that's an if. That is a huge, huge if. And we've talked about this whole back end of the contract being extremely scary. And it's already coming to scary hours in, the, in year two. Obviously, Stearns did not establish that he is going to be the starting right fielder this year. He just said, okay, we are confident that he does not need another surgery. We don't know if he's going to be healthy by spring training. We've already seen two spring trainings in a row where he's had injury concerns. Let's not forget that. They're playing on such thin ice right now when we know that they don't have to. Again, like we've talked about it, playing the 26 to 26, putting all of these chips in one basket for someone who is not as reliable in terms of health, in terms of age. If you get what you expected to get from Starling Marte, fine but like the money should not put him in the lineup whatsoever i don't want to see them drag him out there on opening day like they did with robinson cano i don't want to see that i just don't want to see that if he looks good in spring training if he looks you know like he hasn't completely missed a beat sure but we've seen a good enough sample in 2023 as a player who relies on his athleticism a lot he couldn't use it when he's not going 100%. Like, what value do you have? It's a, just a deteriorating value. The Mets don't have a deep enough lineup like the Braves where they can have this guy bat ninth and suck so much. They don't have a deep lineup like the Rangers where they have Leodo Tavares or whatever the hell he is who sucks ass. He's batting ninth and still win a World Series. 
Josh Rojas or Yoan Rojas, the guy in the Phillies or whatever, they don't have a deep enough lineup for this. I'm not banking on this guy being healthy. The Mets need to approach it like they need two outfielders. They need to approach it like Starling Marte is not an option. The only other thing that I would throw into consideration with Starling Marte is that right now the Mets do not have this no doubt must be your DH kind of power bat uh, on the team right now. So I think if they do get these corner outfielders that we're talking about who do have starting caliber power and are you know just good enough in the field, the ability to have Marte DH quite a bit, I, I think, needs to be on the table just to really make sure that he is at that age that you don't really wear out those legs. You know, because again, his defense wasn't all that great uh, this past season, anyway. So I think if it helps keep him healthy to where he's able to give you most of what he gave you in the first season offensively, I think it's worth that trade off since the Mets don't have this no doubt. It's barely, I'd rather have starting Marte DH than Daniel Vogelback, which isn't saying much, but again, it's not like the Mets have this big time DH that's blocking that scenario from happening some of the time. I, I think that's another thing that they do need to consider because right now that position is wide open too. I mean, just because from what I've seen from Starling Marte at 50%, I don't like Starling Marte at 50%. I just don't. Like, yeah. I don't think he is a complete player whatsoever. And he becomes a negative asset to that lineup. And that's the problem is like, yeah, okay, if you're putting him at DH, you're obviously limiting the, the skill set or whatever. If he's not able to do it, he's not able to do it. But like... It's also to partially prevent injury because that, that's the main concern is that if I could keep him healthy enough to where if he's not in the field, at least he's still stealing bases and things like that. And this is what makes me really catch my breath that we have Nimmo here, because let's not forget a year ago when Billy Epler was here and he said that, you know, we're confident that Marte could play center field. I'm not. (laughs) Like, we've talked about this before, like before even even the injuries or whatever. Like, let's be real. I mean, but Nimmo's back now. Obviously, we don't have to worry about that, but it wasn't confirmed that he's going to be the starting right fielder or whatever. But you know how the Mets really like to bank on their internal options and they like to ring it out. The very small focal point until they're completely forced to get rid of them. They held on to Cano for so goddamn long. They held on to Vogelbach. They still got him. They they need corner guys who can be DHs. If you want to plug in one from random, Jock Peterson, Teoscar Hernandez. You bring in those two guys, they both can be DHs. They both can be corner outfielders. And they can supplement Marte. Marte could still be in the lineup if he still looks good or whatever. But they need to approach this thinking the worst with Starling Marte at his age, at his health, at everything and I don't want to see him being the starting right fielder and then everybody behind him all of them are just minor league players because that is a huge risk with his health right now the best good news being that he doesn't need another groin surgery I mean he's already had like three of them so with the trade market expected to be very active this offseason it's time to play a very special game that we like to call buy or sell we've played this before but this time Andrew's going to take center stage, and Frank and I are going to blindly react to some Mets trade ideas that Andrew has constructed. I need you to make these very controversial so we get into a huge screaming match over these. I need veins popping out of heads, okay? So I think I think we should just start calmly, and let's, let's content, and you can put the card in the top right corner, and let's talk about a trade that we discussed on a podcast a few weeks ago about a certain pitcher. From the Boston Red Sox. Let's 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 talk about Chris Sale. It's full twenty-seven and a half million dollars next year, with obviously the club option and the little sweetener. Again, kind of perfect segue from Starling Marte. He is attached with the one year of Alex Verdugo, 
going to the New York Mets for a small cost of Marco Vargas and Mike Vassell. So it's tough because I've been on the record that uh, I wasn't really high on Chris Sale. Um, I don't have him high on my wish list. I don't think that's really like one of the main guys I should be targeting, particularly in that trade market, because as we talked about last week, there are some pretty good options, hopefully, that are available via trade. Um, so Chris Sale, he's not someone that I really had in mind, but I, I don't necessarily love giving up Vassal only because I do feel that he is one of our few in-house arms that we have that are young and the starting pitching. I, I just feel that it's so limited as it is that I, I hate to give up one of them, but uh, the Verdugo thing certainly helps it. Um, you know, Alex Verdugo, I wish he had a little more power uh, because you know, it's something that we've talked about as far as, you know, being a fit in this lineup, uh, but he would help out for sure. I mean, considering like we've talked about just the lack of outfield that the Mets have. So they do accomplish two things at once. Uh, you know, maybe, I feel like maybe if you exchange Vassal or maybe get just a little more prospect-wise from the Red Sox, just a little bit, I, I might consider it. But, again, I, I don't think this would be one of the first things I'm doing. I, I like to see how the rest of the offseason pans out. Uh, mainly, you know, what happens with Yamamoto and, and some guys like that before I'm pivoting into the Chris Sale direction. I'll sell. I'm also going to sell on this. And the reason why I say this is because I just don't think that the Mets would even go for this just because of Mike Vassell being in there because they have so many thin pitching options. As for Alex Verdugo, it's somebody that I, I would consider getting. I, I don't I don't care, but like I like his hitting profile a little bit more compared to, um, you know, a few guys that we have internally that can, you know, possibly be corner outfield pieces. Oh, obviously, yeah. the launch angle issues have, have obviously flattened out a little bit. He'd be playing in a very different ballpark. I mean, you, you always have to keep that in mind. You are training for a Boston hitter. field, The right field fence that they brought in a little bit, but I don't know. Yes, but I'm just saying that, you know, maybe Verdugo, if he would make some adjustments, you know, not being in Fenway with, you know, all the – little quirks that it has that comes along with it. It's, it it doesn't really affect the left hand as much as the right-handed hitter with the monster, but it is something that you wonder how that affects like his launch angle and things like that. There, there's quite a few launch angle issues that were fixed with our hitting coaches this year because, I, I mean, I really think Jeremy Barnes is a decent hitting coach, in my opinion, but that's a different story. It probably could, you know, help out Alex Verdugo. I was one that it was in favor as a possibility of high upside with Chris Sale, you know, it's a one-year deal that you're taking on here. The money obviously does not matter because Steve Cohen is as wealthy as they come. I'm going to sell on this only because of Mike Vassell. I don't think Mike Vassell is something very special, obviously. I think at the best, he's a five. But the Mets just have so many pitching issues that I don't think they're going to try and just subtract that whatsoever. Like, any arm that they have internally they're going to try and keep on. I don't think that they want to subtract any, especially with the news of David Peterson, especially with the uncertainty in the rotation. I just don't see them wanting to do that whatsoever. I don't think Mike Vassell should be plugged into the rotation, but I think that they want to view him as an option. Yeah, again, it would have been just two rentals for, again, Vargas, who again, has upside, but not really great. Yeah, and, yeah, and again, like Vargas, like Har said, Vargas yeah. isn't amazing. Like, I'm not like, oh my gosh, he's must have. I just think it, it's more so just the lack that the Mets have in-house starting pitching in this current farm system, which after we gave up Seymour with for Ruff, who again, not great, but it's just that we just have so limited options. I, I just hate giving the, the very few 
young starting pitchers that they do have in the farms. All right, let, let's let's go for the Tub Tub's heart, and let's let's get a guy. Let let's call up Mike Elias. I think it's time to call up Baltimore, and I think we need to call up because they got a guy on the outfield corner outfield DH. We definitely could use, and let's get Anthony Santan there. Let let let's just let's just oh, we, we, we let, let's Grant get him there. And you know Baltimore, him. they love young players. They love prospects. They need pitching. Let me just add. Let me just add with this. Not forget Carlos Mendoza. He coached the Venezuelan team. There you go. So guy has a year left of control. But you know Baltimore, they love they love young talent, and they could use a DH. Because yes, they got Ryan Mountcastle kind of you you know you two away. They could give, and they love giving young players opportunity. So let's send them Mark Ventos. Again, for us, up in the air if he even got a roster spot. So Mark, Mets fans are looking, okay, Carson's like, oh, that's not going to go from my heart. But the prospect you got to give up with. There's another piece going to Baltimore. And let's just go two for one, Ryan Clifford, Mark Ventos for Anthony Santander. I am going to – I'm going to buy this. Only because the Mets need a power outfielder, a power corner so goddamn bad, and I just don't really see anything coming from the minor leagues besides Clifford. I guess we're looking at this as win now. Anthony Santander, he's young. He's got a year of control. I would say that, like, again, Ryan Clifford, he's a prospect, unproven. We haven't, we're not plugging him into anything. I hate plugging in prospects. If it comes with, like, an extension right after that, right after you trade for him. I mean, that that would be perfectly like an automatic extension. I would, yeah, I'm gonna buy this one because Santander switch hitter, of course, balance power from both sides. We already know this by now, and he's a fucking beast. I would hate to give up Ryan Clifford, of course, but you know, if you're looking at the now, right now, I would do it. I would buy it. Yeah, this this is a good one. I, I like this one. Um, I'm also. Probably gonna buy. Uh, you know, I'm also a big fan of Santander. Obviously, love switch hitters. Santander gives you that, gives you power. We need that. And, and like I said, it's just such a weakness of this current Mets team. Uh, you know, I, I do not like it of Clifford because, like we've also talked about, the other thing that the Mets don't really, well, after Clifford, if he's gone, Mets don't have young start pitching, don't have young outfielders. So, again, that's like one of the things you don't want to get rid of. But I am totally. 100% go with Vientos in a Santander trade. Totally good with that. Like we've talked about, Vientos, not much of a role on this team right now. You know you're going to have Alonso at first. That's Vientos' primary position, in my opinion. He's not a third baseman, so you're not even going to put him at third base. Uh, again, you have Mauricio in the mix, technically Brett Beatty, or the Mets interested in Justin Turner. Maybe we'll talk about that later. I don't know. But DH, again, don't really see Vientos there either, maybe. But... I just think that with Santander, the one thing I do like, but the couple things like number one, 29 years old, so not too too old yet. So that, that's definitely something I like. But also, like we talked about, the prospect and the proven commodity. You know, you're trading an outfield prospect for a proven outfield. You know, we have high anticipations of what Gilbert could turn out to be and what we hope Gilbert becomes. But you know, with a team with this kind of budget. You feel like you got to go with the proven guys, so I, I think you'd rather have Santander than uh, Clifford on a team like this. So for me, I, I think it's a pretty nice fit. So I, I, as much as I hate going to Clifford, I'd have to buy it because I do really like Santander. Again, I'm kind of doing seeing both sides, and again, every trade you're gonna have. This isn't like, oh, let me get one Soto for. Yeah, and I'm no, not saying it's no, Frank, but I'm like, no, you need for the fans watching. Yeah. This isn't like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna get you know one Soto for mm -hmm. two bags of chips. Like, no, 
you're going to have to rip your heart out with some prospects. That all depends if this is, is if this is a and that's you know, win now year. And, yeah. I'm seeing it as win. Yeah, I guess I should have preferenced that. If you're looking at it yeah. as win now, right now, that's yeah. that's a move that you can obviously make. And of course, you know there there's there. I I know that there's a really good outfield class in the draft that is near MLB ready coming up. So it's not like something that I'm like okay. Can't give up Ryan Clifford. There's obviously everybody has a price here. Anthony Santander, I'm not saying he's a top game changer, but this is a man who performs in the postseason. He performs under the lights. WBC. Switch yeah. hitter, the WBC. I mean, this is a performer right here. He's young. He's got plenty of great years left. I think the main question that you can talk about, obviously, in the starting lineup, would you rather have Anthony Santander or Marte right now? I mean, that, that's just yeah. a simple question. I mean... I'm going with Anthony Santander 99 times out of 99. Like, let's be real. This trade is not made by me. This was a Bleacher Report trade. Oh, this, oh, yeah. Dear. So, sell. Sell automatically. <laughs> let's call up Cleveland. We need a number three starter. And again, I said number three. I didn't say he's the ace because this is how I view him. I don't view him as an ace. I view him as the number three. And let's go get Sean Dean. Now let's get to the prospect capital. Christian Scott and Tyler Stewart were the two pitchers in this deal. And Alex... Buy or sell. Wow. Th this is a tough one right here. Uh, again, it's, it's like we talked about. Mets need pitching. I'm actually going to sell. I'm slightly going to sell only because we have seen a little bit of a decline in Shane Bieber over the past few years. Uh, he isn't the Cy Young finalist he once was. Uh, and you know what? Cleveland's a very good organization with their pitching. Kind of like we've talked about Milwaukee. It just feels like Cleveland, they've always got really good pitching. They always – they and this is what Cleveland does. Cleveland trades away pitchers that were good with them, and then they just replace and still have a bunch of good pitching just with new guys. So it just feels like if Cleveland were to do this, I'm like, why are they doing this? Like, you know, Brian Winters, like, what's going on here? Like, you feel like Cleveland always has the upper hand. In something like this. Uh, and Alex Ramirez is a guy that obviously we all like a lot. Uh, if I'm going to trade him for a pitcher, th there's another pitcher I I'd rather do it for. It's not it's not Bieber. So for this one, I'm going to have to sell. Obviously, Alex Ramirez is another guy we really like. So for him, th that's a sell. I think I know where Andrew's going with this. And that's because a Alex Ramirez is Rule 5 eligible this year. And... There is a strong possibility that the Mets do lose him if they don't put him on the 40-man roster. I think that there's a possibility he comes back. I, I don't I don't think anybody picks him up at the current value that he's at because this year he really did yeah, not play well. Years. He was not good. I obviously do like the the upside with him. He's 20 years old. He still hasn't filled out to the frame. He's six foot three, 170 pounds. I mean, he's he's still got a long way to go. Um I think that this I'm I'm willing to give him the prove it year this year. Um and hopefully he does come back. I don't know if somebody picks him up or whatever, but you know, Kristen Scott, I want to hold on to. I really do because I, I see a lot of Zach Wheeler in that guy. Just a just a freaking iron arm. Tyler Stewart is like that that's a reliever. I'm going to sell this too, but I like the thought of it. I do like the thought of it because of obviously getting something back for an asset that you might lose in the Rule 5 draft. Like, that's a possibility. Uh, the Mets got something back for, what's his name, Jake Mangum, and they got two arms back for him. Uh, the reason why he was Rule 5 eligible. There's a reason why I would do this, but as for the capital that comes back, 
For a number three starter, I'm not going to do that along with pitching that this team really needs and also a big upside outfielder that I'm very high on. That's just my opinion, but like I understand why you're trying to get an asset back for Alex Ramirez with the risk of losing him. Again, with the Rule 5 eligibility, I don't think anyone takes him again. Like you said, he's 20 years old and he's still just so raw that I don't think anyone's forcing that guy on the major league roster. But again, there could be a shitty team that sees it and potentially it's like, hey, it's a free pick, but Again, can you know? Obviously, Scott had a really good year, and obviously that Binghamton rotation was very good. But again, it just depends where the Mets teams are. If this team is trying to be a competitive team, yes, Bieber is your three, and let's say Yamamoto's your one and two. That's a really good one, two, three. And again, has one year again, so it's not the greatest. Again, you're not giving up. If this is an Alex Ramirez from last year, if this was the top five prospect in our system, he has gone down because the system has gotten better. So I do think with the Rule 5 eligibility, with the Rasta prospect pool getting deeper, that he might be a major trip in a trade for anybody. Again, just people was just a thought. So good, good job, Bleacher Report. It's a strong possibility. I, I will tell you right now that another hypothetical here. Let me just let me counter offer it. If you replace Shane Bieber in that trade with Corbin Burns, it's an automatic. Oh play. yeah, that, that's yeah. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was thinking yeah. too. If I'm going to get Ramirez for a pitch, I, I'd rather be Burns. Let's call David Stern and his old team up, and let's not get Corbin Burns because everybody else is free game. And what is one thing you can give Carlos Mendoza to rookie manager? What would be awesome for him to have a back end of the bullpen to shorten? And there's a certain reliever which we all know we're going to talk about who is better as the number two option than the ninth inning. And we already know the ninth inning's locked down. So why not get the best setup man in baseball back into the setup man role, and that being Devin Williams. Two years of team control, brought in, locked down with Diaz, helps your rookie manager being, hey, you can pencil in most nights, Williams in the eighth, Diaz in the ninth, and then you just got to get from the five to seven, figure the rest out. Now, what are we giving up? Let's start with Dom Hamill. Again, Brewers would kind of love an arm. That's, again, have – you're seeing I'm picking throughout all everybody with Dom Hamill, but that's not the big – because there's got to be a piece. And there's and the Brewers kind of have a type. I've said it in, in past videos. They like speed. They like athleticism. Hmm, do the Mets have a prospect who they've just received who's great with athleticism and speed, but really no guaranteed spot on this roster? What about Luis Angel Buy or sell? Yeah, this is a definite sell for me. Uh, I am never a big fan of trading for relievers. I, I think it is just way too risky. Uh, you know, Devin Williams in the setup role would not be as much pressure. Again, you're taking him out of Milwaukee. Yes, he has sterned, but I don't know. We've just seen it happen too many times with guys who get moved who are relievers, it wouldn't, even not just to the Mets, but just in general. And for whatever reason, they're just not the same player. Uh, it gives me a lot of, you know, one of my guys, Craig Kimbrell, when he went to the White Sox. It, it kind of gives me that kind of sense where, like, all of a sudden you thought, wow, Kimbrell and Hendricks, wow, what an 8-9. And it ended up being... I will counter that. Devin Williams isn't 80 years old. He's not eight years old, no doubt. But I'm just saying you see a lot of times with relievers that they just don't have it. And right now, some websites have Acuna as the number one prospect for the Mets. You know, again, debatable. He does have some good things about him. I would not be giving him up for a reliever, for any reliever. Uh, that's just the way I look at it. 
Uh, so for me, this is a definite sell. I, I mean, Devin Williams, it's a nice idea and concept of like, okay, Williams Diaz, it sounds good and all, but I'd rather hope that Williams is a free agent in a couple of years and then maybe experiment with it. I just don't love doing it as a trade. Okay. Well, I've already said that there's starting pitching pieces. I feel like the Mets don't want to give up whatsoever uh, because of just the, how the depth chart is. But when you put De Devin Williams in front of him, eighth inning guy, back end of the bullpen, pair him up with Diaz. I'm going to buy this because Luis Angel Acuna sucks, and I'm tired of people talking about this guy. This guy is Miguel Rojas, for God's sake. Dominic Hamill, I feel like, is a bigger loss, obviously, to this one. I think that overall, as a prospect, you talk about Luis Angel Acuna, right? Has a lot of tools, of course. Dominic Hamill, I feel like, is a little bit more of a loss to the Mets, than it is a gain to the Brewers. And that's the reason why I would definitely go with this one. Because Dom Hamill, obviously not their top pitching prospect. We know he's got the flashy stuff. We know that he you know, can be a little bit wild sometimes. But when he's on, he's on. He's a very streaky pitcher, of course. I am willing to give that up for someone like Devin Williams. Because there are a few other young arms that you can mix in there. Dominic Hamill's kind of on that outer bubble along with Tyler Stewart. So I'm not like, that's not something that I'm like, okay, 100%, I need to keep this guy. Kristen Scott, I think, is a lot better than a lot of the other pitching prospects besides Blade Tidwell and the upside of uh, Brandon Sprout. But I think that overall, if you give me Devin Williams, who is a lockdown guy, we know that he's a Stearns guy. Stearns was one of the main guys bringing him in here, coming out of nowhere, with the airbender, of course. He's not a closer anymore. Two years of control, giving up two prospects for two years of control. I would not mind that. I would buy it. Again, I just think that, again, Williams is a very good pitcher. I just don't like it with relievers. I, I yeah. think they know what. If you want to trade a Cunha, I'm fine with that. It just can't be a reliever. That's just if it's a guarantee it. to push Drew Smith down the depth chart, are you doing it? Oh, well, I mean, Drew Smith shouldn't even be on the team to begin with. So, Well, he's third in command right now, so I, I hope you know that. You're looking at the roster. Oh, I know. But, again, you just feel that Stearns, he's got to find a way to pull this off because I just can't. Not another year, Drew. Please, no. Please, no. All right, let's get to the final two, and let's get to the most fun two. One is an obvious we all kind of see coming. The other one's my fun dream finale. And let's start with Soto. San Diego. And again, we've talked about this. A fire sale in San Diego trying to move money. And Soto obviously making $30 million in his last year of ARB. And you know what? Let's just attach Joe Musgrove. Again, we need some pitching. Throw it. I'm not touching that Darvish contract. So throw a little Joe nasty slime ball ear Joe Musgrove. San Diego. Say hello to Mark Vantos. They desperately could use first base and some power. Say hello to David Peterson without a hip. Uh, again, this was made before he decided to blow out his hip. Dom Hamill's here again, but you can replace him with anyone. Take your pick, Vassal. Whoever you feel more confident, but Dom Hamill. And again, goodbye, Luis Angel Acuna and Kevin Parada. Yeah, this one. This is a good one. This, this is probably one of the toughest ones yet. Uh, you had me until you, you threw in Parada. That that was a tough one, but you know what? Uh, when it when it comes to Juan Soto and Musgrove, I'm I probably have to buy it. I, I really do. I, I think that you know what, um, the Musgrove contract isn't great. I mean, no doubt, it's definitely a little 
little, little sketchy. But you know what? All in all, he had a pretty good year last year. It's not like he was terrible. I, I think he'd be a very nice – I mean, with the kind of rotation the Mets have right now, like we talked about, all you have is Sanga and Quintana. You need guys. You know what I mean? So uh, Musgrove, fine. I- I'll take him on. Again, no problem with any other guys. Vientos, everyone else, goodbye. Uh, again, Parada, I, I feel like when when it comes to a catcher, you feel like they have pretty good trade value. But other than that, it's like, what are the big trades that the Mets really going to do right now? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's Juan freaking Soto we're talking about here. So I, I think I'm going to have to buy this one uh, just because it really does fix a lot of things. Uh, like, we talk about number one rotation. Obviously, they need help. Musgrove does that. They need help in the outfield. does that. Protect Pete Alonso really does that when you add Juan Soto into the mix. Um, so I just feel like it accomplishes a lot of things for this team in one move. So I, I think I would buy this. I'm also going to buy this with a little bit more ease than Frank here because over the last year, Kevin Parada, I have not really been impressed. I'm not going to lie. He has really not played well to the point where, yeah, this guy is like the next five tool catcher, especially at the age that he's at. I'm pretty sure he just turned 22. Did he just turn 23? Like, it, like I understand the development of catchers, obviously. The defense isn't great, but obviously can get better. I think that overall his tools still have been displayed, but we just haven't seen much recently. If it comes with Musgrove, a legitimate number three, who has been a legitimate number three for a while i'm gonna say that i'm yeah i'm definitely gonna buy this and it obviously comes with that guy juan soto who's pretty good as well who you know as frank has talked about before you know that the trial run year in new york if it goes like terrible terrible you don't necessarily have to resign juan soto and again i I do like that trial year um and again and like i always say you get the first uh you get the first say when it comes to negotiations you know juan soto he wouldn't be as skeptical to join the organization because he know what it's like being here, you know, so he, he wouldn't have that same worry. I, I think it does help you a lot. You have like that first say in the negotiation process when it comes to extending players. So, uh, and I think with his age, I mean, he's the kind of star you'd really be trying to have. The only other thought is, is obviously just negotiating with Scott Boris on Pete Alonso and Juan Soto is kind of a pain uh, in the same free agency. So yeah, I would definitely buy this one if it was on the table. I, I feel... For some reason, I just feel like the Mets would have to give up a little bit more. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with the exchanging, like let's say Peterson for McGill, or maybe adding like a little more. I, I'm okay with that because I think Peterson's variant has to be totally shot. Uh, so if you have to exchange him for a couple of pieces, that's fine. Um, so I, I'm okay. Like you said, Carlos, if you had to add a little more, I'm okay with that too. I feel like I just feel like the Padres instead of the David Peterson instead of the Tyler McGill, they would say, give us Blade Tidwell. And I think if it, you took out the contract, and if this wasn't a bleed, dying, bleeding of money, which it could be, you could say if you took out Musgrove, I think they would ask for Tidwell. But I think that the Mets taking the full deal on, you maybe lessen the package. And maybe if this is Soto by himself, I think we're talking a bigger package. But if this team is that desperate to move money, taking on a full deal, I think does lower the prospect capital going the other way. I mean, it it all depends if they see Parada as a as the front line piece. Like I I I don't know, and and I'm the verdict's still out on Parada. I don't think he's reached that full capacity yet. So it's like, you know, yeah, at the age that he's at, you know, maybe he's one year away from the majors, but he hasn't really shown it fully yet. 
obviously with him being a catcher, we don't know if he's going to be an outfielder or whatever, but you know, that's the type of trade package that I'd be safe, willing enough to move for Juan Soto and Musgrove because it definitely addresses a lot. It all really depends on if the Padres are asking for a little bit more. And I feel like they probably would. I don't know if they're that desperate to move, you know, the contracts that they're trying to move. Yeah, let's get to my sitting in my brain for two weeks of just... A lot of teams are making moves and a lot of teams are trying to make trades. And I'm thinking, why not a 10-player 10, 10 deal? You know what? Let's just get and fix everybody in one deal. Why not? And it's a three-team deal by three teams that I expect to be very aggressive in every single market, and especially the trade market. And that includes the New York Mets, the Seattle Mariners, and the St. Louis Cardinals. No, yeah, start with Seattle. Because again, what do they need? They need some financial relief, potentially. An outfielder. So, and they need contact hitting. So Seattle would get Dylan Carlson. Seattle would get Brett Beatty. And Seattle will get Jeff McNeil. The St. Louis Cardinals would acquire, they need pitching. They get the second biggest, in my opinion, piece in this trade of Bryce Miller. And from the Mariners, meaning the young, controllable, front potential front-end guy, they would also get Tyler McGill from the Mets and Kevin Parada. Unknown future of Wilson Contreras. Obviously, that contract was given out and Cardinal pitching complaining. And now let's see what the Mets are. And let's start with two arms. Because you say, oh, we're giving up Tyler. We can't give up Tyler McGill. The Mets are getting two arms back, one from each team. Let's start with Emerson Hancock coming from Seattle. Made his major league debut. Looked pretty decent. And Michael McGreevy, who got in, was in double A most of the year, got to triple A. Nice, decent arm. Why is Brett Beatty going? Who's playing, who's playing third base then? Against Seattle, potentially taking a shot at trying to get Otani. They need to move some money. They got a, they got a third baseman who can play third base at a pretty good well and hit a shit ton of homers. In Eugenio Suarez, it's $17 million plus a club option, I believe, after next year. So he's coming. And then, the last piece, my piece that I would die to get, and is a backup plan just in case certain moves happen, Nolan Gorman is in. Plus, you could put Gorman at sec for this year if you want. Pete Alonso's here. Gorman plays second, Gino at third, Lindor at short. You've gotten better defensively, and you've added potentially 60 homers to your big league lineup and two pitchers. Obviously, I've said with the Cardinals, they need pitching, and they get a catcher that they could potentially use. Seattle gets contact. They get some financial flexibility off their books, and they can get, can get Brett to play, cost controllable, making league men. McNeil can go play second. They desperately needed a second baseman. Everyone gets what they need. How crazy am I? We all know how much I love homers, so you know what? You've got to buy from me. It's not going to happen. It's a 10-player trade. It, it's a three-team trade, which, yeah, we see, but that's only like a few conversing pieces. It's usually small, like Joey Lucchese or something like that. This is the NBA trade. This is an NBA trade of all trades, but you do have a buy from me because you get rid of Jeff McNeil and he's old and annoying and does not have any power. I make that deal. Uh, the guy who really puts over the top for me is Emerson Hancock. Uh, I, I think, you know, because of how much the Mets need the pitching, you know, going forward, especially young pitching up coming through the minors, I think he's really like the cherry on top because – Obviously, the Suarez upgrade, that's huge at third base because we have so many question marks there to get some power there. That would be good because this lineup needs a third baseman and this lineup needs power. 
Suarez gives you both of that. Um, obviously, you know, I, I never really want to hear McNeil right now, but I think that with the down year he had, with the pending injury, to get a guy with, again, a young player with upside like Gorman who can hit for power, I'm willing to make that move too. So I, I think this lineup definitely needs some more power. You get that done with both of those areas. You got some young pitching this team needs. I'm good with that. And again, like I'm I'm okay with moving on from Beatty. I'm okay with moving on from McGill. Uh, and then from Parada, I'm okay with it because again, I'm just I'm fixing so many things at once. Young too, you know, especially with guys like Gorman and things like that. So I, I really like that deal. So I would buy it. It's not gonna happen, but it's a decent deal. Yeah, but helps the Mets a lot. And again, all three of these teams are going to be very, very active in the market, and it fills everyone's need. Again, the Mariners crying for contact for some reason. I know why they let the American League get strikeouts. Cardinals crying for pitching. They get two arms and Bryce, probably the second best piece in the deal behind Gorman. And the match again, add power and some pitching depth and turning McGill into one arm in the two. Again, this has just been a cocktail in my mind of pure chaos. So now that brings us to the questions that you guys sent to us. For those of you watching, listening, if you guys want to ask us a question, make sure to click the link in the description. Fill out our form with your name, Mets-related question, and it could be featured on the next episode of the Mets Weekly Podcast. So we talked about guys we could trade for. We talked about guys that we could sign. Land of Mets is asking free agents that the Mets should avoid this offseason. So, guys, you don't want to touch with a 10-foot stripper pole. I guess that's the reference we're using now. Yeah, I got the guy around the top of my head. I, I talked to him earlier in the episode. I saw, a, again, with all these Twitter rumors, all these weird accounts, you never know what's real or not. But there are a couple people I've seen that do like the idea of the Mets getting Justin Turner. And I'm against it. We've talked about it so many times. Say no to these guys who are above 38. I just don't understand it. I mean, the guy, he's bound to just totally fall off any year now. It's bound, his back, like, it's bound to happen. And what would you know that the Mets got rid of Justin Turner and he becomes good? Wouldn't it be so typical if Justin Turner came back to the Mets and then became bad again? Like, I, I mean, come on now. It's like, it's such a, it's such a trap that they've fallen for so many times in the past that I'm just like, no, I'd rather have Mauricio get a shot than bring in Justin Turner. So he, for me, is a big time avoid because I think it's an overpay and I'm just done with getting these guys at that age. It's just, when does it work for this team? It never works. So that's what I'm really against. I've seen a couple people talk about it and I'm like, absolutely not. I think the connection there, uh, Justin Turner, is because I think Stearns almost traded for him. I'm pretty sure it, like, was it the last deadline or the deadline before? It might have been 2021, I think. Right? Like, the last year before, when he was a Dodger, where, like, he was a free agent and they, like, listened to offers. Yeah, I, I understand the connection there because he almost traded for him. But if you're if you're going to bring in a, a veteran infielder, I've already said Gio Urshela is just a better option there. He's just younger. He has more to prove because he's been hurt. And, you know, somebody that can, you know, push the prospects out of there if they don't perform in spring training or the beginning of the season. Uh, I'm going to put out another name here, and that being Cody Bellinger. We need the corner outfield and everything, but I'm not willing to commit to it. Obviously, there's some health injury, health issues there. I just don't like the profile as much as people like it. Obviously, he had the resurgence and whatever, but I'm just not willing to commit long-term to an outfielder like that who's had the ups and downs at his very, very best and his very, very worst. 
I get it. He's a 20 to 30 home run bat pretty much every single season, but I just don't think that that's the ideal guy to go after uh, in the corner outfield. Uh, I understand he's young. I don't know. I just, I, I'm just drawn away from it. I feel like he's going to be asking for that seven year, eight year deal. And I'm just not willing to do that yet. You know, those long-term deals, I'm giving it to a star that we could possibly bring in here through a trade. That being, you know, somebody like Juan Soto, maybe even somebody like Santander, give him a five year, six year deal or whatever, something like that, but not, Cody Belly. Yeah. Uh, Belly would have been mine because we have our center fielder and like his value is defensively is for a center fielder. If Brandon Nemo's not here, I think we have a discussion about it. I said it last year when he was a free agent. Like, if it's not Nemo, I want it Belly on a one year deal, then Kiermeyer because again, you pencil in great defense and 20 homers. So again, that's my stay away. I am terrified of Aaron Nola. I know a lot of people saying, oh, if you give him a better D, de- you give him better defense, you get him out of a small. I have seen the Mets light him up so many times, but also he has against starts. There's just something about Aaron Nola, and especially if it's going to be a seven-year time, let's call it $27 million a year. Like, he's just a guy, I get it, he's probably the third best pitcher on the market. There's just something about Nola that's like, he could be very good. He could be an elite guy somewhere else. I just, the Mets aren't that fit. You know, if it's going to maybe St. Louis or going to a smaller market, maybe. I just think, again, especially with how much history we've had, positive more likely than negative against him. It's just something about it. I'm like, and you can see all the peripherals of like, oh, he's got, if you give him a better defense, he'll have better, you know, his FIP's always better than his ERA. I get it. It's just something with him that I just was like, same thing with Snell. Like, again, the top end of this market, I've made it my new saying, you don't pay mediocre players elite money. And I don't think, I guess, I guess Snell's going to win Cy Young, don't get me wrong, he had a good year. But again, I'm not giving long-term money to these two type guys, and these guys are probably going to get six, seven, eight, eight years that I think the Mets need to get go that Texas approach of just going in that mid-market and just get four, five, six of those guys. I think the main thing with, with Aaron Nola is probably just the mileage. Um, I mean, he's been in the league for a long time. He's young, per se. What is he, 29? But he came in the league at what, age 20? I mean, a lot, of a lot of innings. He, I mean, he gives you he gives you the volume. He probably can pitch for a long time or whatever. But you know, it, it's hard to. It's really hard because we have not seen the Mets give a long term deal to a pitcher. Have you ever had Tommy John yet? Maybe a few years ago. I. You I, feel like you feel like it's a prerequisite with pitchers. It's like you know what what year does his arm go out for? And he's, he's yeah, done for know. a year. We haven't so. seen the like, Mets give a long term deal to no. a pitcher yet. So. And I feel like with Stearns, I don't think it's good. Yeah, they weren't they weren't willing to do it. They weren't willing to do it with. DeGrom, would you be willing to do it with Nola? Like, would you be willing to do it? Like, I don't think that's the pitcher that you give a long-term deal to. I wouldn't give him, like, I, I feel like he's going to, you know, th- there's a possibility that he gets $30 million a year. Yeah, Aaron Nola is definitely somebody that I would try to avoid, but I wouldn't be upset if they got him. Your rapid-fire stories for this week, right-handed reliever Adam Ottavino has declined his player option for 2024, worth over $6.5 million. Last week, Ottavino tried to redo the terms of his contract, and the Mets were reportedly not interested, electing him free agency for this offseason. After a 30-30 season, for Francisco Lindor has won the NL Silver Slugger Award for shortstops. This is Lindor's third Silver Slugger of his career after leading all NL shortstops in extra base hits, home runs, slugging percentage, OPS, and WRC Plus in 2023. Kodai Senga has been nominated for the NL Rookie of the Year Award alongside other finalists Corbin Carroll and James Outman. In 2023, Senga posted a 2.98 earn run average, 3.63 fielding independent pitching, and struck out 29.1 
1% of batters across 166.1 innings, landing him in the top three for the award. The Mets claimed infielder Zach short on waivers from the Detroit Tigers and have retained right-handed pitcher Bryce Montez de Oca, who cleared waivers this week. Short is a former 17th round pick by the Cubs back in 2016 and spent 2023 with Detroit, posting a 631 OPS in 253 plate appearances. Bryce Montez de Oca remains with the Mets organization after missing all of 2023 due to Tommy John surgery, which he underwent last spring. Mets coaches Miguel Cairo and Joey Coro will both be leaving the organization. Cairo was the Mets minor league infield coordinator this year and will join the Nationals as their new bench coach behind Davey Martinez. Cora was the Mets third base coach for the past two seasons and will be joining the Tigers coaching staff for 2024. Mets owner Steve Cohen has officially unveiled the plans for the brand new Metropolitan Park, which is located around the neighborhood of City Field. Cohen has included an $8 billion investment to feature 20 acres of park space, an entertainment complex, a food hall, and infrastructure, along with other features. Parting words for episode number 32. Steven Matz, I guess. John Madlack, right? Yeah, uh... One week closer to getting this activity going. Obviously, the awards are going to be announced this upcoming week, I believe. Yeah, or today. Starting this week. So, awards will be done. Rookie of the Year, obviously, Sanga will finish second. And uh, after these awards have been placed, I think then we'll finally start to see some traction. Who's going to be the first domino to fall? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're just looking forward to it actually getting started and actually seeing what teams are making moves. And um, the Mets are actually working on fixing this and cleaning up and trying to get back on track. You know, we really want to see what, what everyone's got cooking. So it's a very exciting time of the year, holiday season coming up. So we'll see what's in store. You know, I'm I'm a baby steps type of person, one day at a time. So the next deadline that we see, it's going to be November 17th, which is the non-tender deadline. Mets, you know exactly what to do. We're not going to say it. We've already established it. You know exactly what to do on the 17th. Other than that, thank you guys so much for watching, listening, those watching on playback, for those watching on the premiere. We'll see you guys next week for episode 33. Let's go Mets. And peace out.